Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. And I am very, very, very excited for this week's show and this week's guest. It is Rodney Childers. He has won so many cup races. He has won a championship in the Cup Series, one of the best crew chiefs to ever do it in NASCAR, in my opinion, and he is our guest this week. So, so excited for you guys to hear that conversation. His, obviously, career with Kevin Harvick is starting to wind down. Two races to go at Martinsville and Phoenix before Happy Harvick hangs up the helmet. So we chatted about that, uh, what he has in store next year, maybe even beyond that, and uh, reminisced about 2014 a whole heck of a lot as this weekend was a... Uh, a microcosm of that season and of that championship race out there in Homestead. We'll chat about Miami, Homestead Miami Speedway to be specific, and discuss Martinsville as well. But before we do that, time to pay homage to a legendary name in the world of NASCAR with Papa Siegel this week. Thank you, Duke, and welcome everyone to episode 207. This week, our Wayback Lens shines its light on a great driver, mechanic, and car owner. And I'm frankly surprised we haven't already highlighted. As a boy, young Everett Owens would climb trees outside the Piedmont Fairgrounds in Spartanburg, South Carolina to watch the racing. Promoter Joe Littlejohn recalled, As I looked out beyond the fence into the trees, all I could see was his head, a little white ball that looked like cotton in bloom. I'd tell one of my guards to go get that cotton ball and chase him inside. The nickname stuck, and Little John would be one of the lifelong boosters and friends of Cotton Owens. Owens won over 200 modified races, earning him the additional nickname of King of the Modifieds. They were different times, my friends. Before the NASCAR Cup Series, when Modifieds garnered the biggest crowds and purses. Owens won the Modified Championship in 1950, 53, and 54. He also won nine times in the NASCAR Grand National Series. That included the 1957 Daytona Beach Road Course, where he was the first person to average over 100 miles an hour over the sand and asphalt. Still, Owens made a bigger name as a Chrysler car owner and crew chief. He owned and wrenched David Pearson to a series championship in 1966, and the list of other drivers who wheeled his cars reads like a who's who of motorsports. In addition to the Silver Fox, how's this for a list? Buddy Baker, Pete Hamilton, Charlie Glotzbach, Marty Robbins, Ralph Earnhardt, Bobby Isaac, Junior Johnson, Marvin Panch, and Fireball Roberts. Even Mario Andretti and my fave Al Unser drove Owens' cars when they occasionally crossed over 
to stock cars. Big Al qualified eighth in an Owens Dodge for the 1968 Daytona 500 and finished fourth. That a boy. Cotton Owens died of lung cancer on June 7, 2012, shortly after it had been announced that he'd be inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame, class of 2013. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Thank you, Dad. As always, for that uh, homage to Cotton Owens, a uh, pioneer of sorts in NASCAR and a name that is very memorable for many reasons. And uh, I'm glad that we were able to memorialize him here today in the Wayback segment. All right, let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old fashioned. And throw it straight over to my chat with Rodney Childers. You know him, you love him. Crew chief of the number four Stuart Haas Racing Ford Mustang and driver Kevin Harvick. We sprayed a lot of fields uh, in this conversation. You guys see that command that he gave over the weekend at Homestead? That was pretty damn good. Uh, we chatted about that for a good bit. The race itself, they finished 11th, and how special and memorable the weekend was specifically with that special paint scheme, the forever 400. There was a lot of vibes that took us back to 2014 when they won that championship at Homestead Miami Speedway. So we chatted about that. Also about his children, uh, they are grown up now. They are 15 years old, which is crazy to say, but why they are loving going to the racetrack a little bit more nowadays, and it has something to do with his airness. I'll let you connect the puzzle pieces there. How about next year? Preparation for 2024. Has that started at all with Josh Berry, or is he really just focused on the here and the now with Kevin Harvick? And also, he just eclipsed a really cool milestone, 600 starts. As a Cup Series crew chief, he reflected on that milestone and what may be coming up in the future, including KHI, Kevin Harvick Incorporated, in terms of the driver development program, and of course, so much more. I'll let you get out the way and let you hear the chat you've been waiting for. It's Rodney Childers in a place he's very accustomed to being, Victory Lane. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, a legend of the game. My vote, even though I don't have one, a potential future Hall of Famer, championship <laughs> crew chief, Rodney Childers for the number four Stuart Haas Racing Ford. We will get to Homestead. We'll get to Martinsville. We'll get to all the tasks at hand in a little bit. But first, that command was something, man. You you were jacked up for that. I will say, I don't think I've ever heard you get that loud or get that excited, but we all saw it on display yesterday, man. That was something. Nice job. Thank you. It was uh, really cool to be able to do that with my family and just a incredible week. The whole week, um, it wouldn't have matter where we would have finished. It was just incredible. The whole week of, you know, taking the Budweiser car back down there and the vibe in the shop and the pictures that we were able to take and everything was just was just really awesome. And, um, you know, for mobile one to you know, to give over the name of the race to be the forever 400 was extremely special. So uh, just an incredible week altogether. I joked, and I think some others did too on social media, that that was probably the loudest that you've ever been at a racetrack. You you really got up for that one, I got to say. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get that opportunity, and, um, you know, it definitely wasn't an Adam Sandler moment, but it was uh, the best I could do, and, you know, it was awesome to have my wife and kids there, and we'd went to dinner down at Key Largo the night before, and on the way down there, it's like, all right, we're going to have to be loud, 
and um, everybody, you know, did a great job. And it was cool to see a lot of the comments after that everybody um, thought it was a good one, and and uh, it was really special. So I'm curious, did you guys practice? Like, was there a choreography to this that I don't know about? What was the deal? We barely practiced going down there to dinner just to, you know, I think everybody had a different thing in their mind of how they were going to do it. And I was like, no, you just have to have the shortest little pause between each word and that'll help stay in sync. So uh, that was really all there was. There wasn't much um, thought, you know, other than that. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, the, the command is, is, you know, it's set up to be real short from the TV standpoint and the right. time allowed for it. And if it was up to me, I would have stood there and thanked everybody for all this and that and talked for five minutes. But I wanted to just say thank you uh, before I got it out. But um, like I said, just an incredible moment. You did it well. You got you got the seal of approval on my end, even though that means nothing. Uh, all right, let's <laughs> move on to the race itself. I know it was up and down. Caution came out at a good time, I think, at the end of stage two or – thereabouts where Blaney and Larson decided to have a sand party on the front stretch um, came out well for you guys. And I know that at the end of the day, just outside the top 10 and 11th, but an up and down one to get to that point, how would you kind of sum up your guys' last time together as a group at Homestead? Yeah, our car was interesting all weekend. And like in practice, we were down on the charts, but then when it got to like lap 20 of the run, we were one of the best cars and like lap 26 of the run in practice, we were the best car. So we didn't want to mess that part up. And, um, Kevin said he was being a little careful with it in the beginning of practice. And we, we didn't really change much going into the race. When we started the race, we were, we were too tight, you know, in traffic and you know, where we started. But, um, then we got going really good on the long run. We started passing cars. We were like one of the only cars that could run the bottom of three and four and started getting up through there and felt pretty good about it and barely made any changes. Um, to start that second stage and we took the bottom on that start for the second stage and man it was not good at all we lost like eight spots in two laps and we were just way too tight on the short run but i think that's really what made us so good on the long run and being able to run the bottom because everybody that was good on the restarts um they were absolutely horrible trying to run the bottom they were completely sideways so um you know, we were giving up some on the front end and it was, you know, somewhat making up for it on the long end. And, um, you know, definitely wanted to run better than that, you know, especially with having Budweiser back on the car and a place that we won the championship 10 years ago. We wanted to go down there and, and contend for the win. But, uh, you know, overall, we, we all did the best we could. We had amazing pit stops on pit road. And, um, you know, we did everything that, that we were supposed to do. It just wasn't good enough. I think you guys busted out an eight-second stop in, in that neighborhood. Do I have that right? Yeah, there was an eight-something in there, and um, we picked up, I think, three or four spots on yeah. that one. But um, like I said, I mean, everybody's working hard. We're still trying, you know, every week to to put him in victory lane and doing the best we can. But we're also having fun and keeping smiles on our faces and uh, enjoying these last few and, and remembering the things that have been important to us over the years and the family like atmosphere on the four team and, and how much we've had each other's backs through all of this and, and the fun that we've had in victory lane so many times. So, uh, hopefully we can do it one more time, but if we don't, you know, it's, it's not from lack of effort. Everybody's doing a really good job. I heard Kevin talking about this. I think it was on our air on Sirius XM, uh, for media day and, you know, 
we were basically saying how Kevin, all your fans, they want you to win so bad. Rodney's talked about how he wants you to win so bad. And he was pretty nonchalant, basically saying like, I know, but if I don't, I'm fine. You know, like I'm, I'm good. And a lot of people, myself included, were kind of like, so we want you to win more than you want to win? Like, come on. And we know that's not really the case, but it just goes to show. I mean, when we've heard you talk in the past this year about you just want to get him that one more win to go out on top so, so bad, and it's kind of eating you guys alive, that I think says a lot. And, you know, the partnership that you guys have had for 10-plus years all culminating into what this past weekend was made it all that more memorable with Mobile One and the paint scheme and the picture you guys took in front of the car. This weekend seemed like it was really, really special among a season that you said has been really, really memorable. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, if you could have won this past weekend, I don't think anything could have been bigger. But, I agree. you know, you, you look back at all these places and you can say that about all of them. You know, to be leading, taking the white flag lap at Talladega and leading, taking the white flag lap at Daytona, uh, destroying them at Phoenix in the spring and the caution mm-hmm. coming out. Darlington, uh, you know, Darlington, there were so many places that we could have went to victory lane that people really forget about. I mean, people forget that we were in the top four in points for almost what three quarters of the season or something. Okay. It's not like we've had a bad season. It's just, you know, I mean, if you don't win races, you're not relevant. And, you know, I think especially with somebody like Kevin Harvick driving the car and, and a team like everybody knows that we have on the four team. So, you want to win and um, we're trying like crazy, but um, like he said, I mean, whether we win or lose, we've, we've done a lot of good things together and uh, yeah, we're going to remember this season as, as something that we've enjoyed and uh, seeing all these videos every week and all the things that the marketing department has done has been amazing. So uh, we're, we're going to enjoy it no matter what. You guys are doing a good job of it. Um, and I know that, you know, one of those videos, it was like a 30-minute sit-down roundtable with everybody from that 2014 team. And this past weekend, I think you got the whole squad back for a photo. Alba Cologne was in there. I saw a couple other crew members that are on Ryan Priest's team, Kyle Bush's team, a NASCAR official was in there. Guys that I didn't even know where they went from that 2014 championship team. I know you see all those guys and gals around the racetrack and in the garage kind of on a weekly basis now because they're still in the sport, but it had to be pretty cool to get them all around together by that car with that paint scheme on it to kind of just say goodbye one last time. That had to be pretty cool, I imagine. Yeah, it was. And, you know, all those people that were on that car in 2014, we're all really good friends and we're still family. Um, You know, some people have went different ways and different directions and all, but, um, you know, we're all still one big family and, everybody just showed up, you know, I mean, they knew that it was going on. Cheddar did a good job of kind of syncing all of that up and having a time when that was going to happen and, and all that. But it was amazing to see all those people again. And, and the other side of it, you know, that, that made me really thankful even taking that picture is just to think about how much we have stayed intact, you know, over 10 years is hard to do and to have the same driver, same crew chief, same car chief, uh, same shop foreman, same engineers, all those things are extremely tough. And, um, you know, this sport can be brutal at times, but everybody's really had their backs, uh, each other's backs and, and stuck with each other and, and made it all happen. But, 
you know, those guys that come and took those pictures were a great part of our, our, of our team in 2014 and, and making that championship happen. Something that you also made happen recently, which is hard to do is keep a secret from a race car driver. And you guys did that with the paint scheme to show Kevin at the end of that video, a, how hard was it to keep that secret from him and B how cool and rewarding was it for you to be able to surprise him with it and show him on the shop floor? Yeah, it was incredible. Um, there, there was a lot of work put into all that. I'm sure. We, we had fake walls in the shop, and we had the car covered in paper, and we had, <laughs> um, you know, that show car. It was, you know, stuck in a different room in, a, in the other building in the F1 shop. And, oh, um, you know, there was a lot of different things. And even the room that we put him in to watch that video and all that stuff in the beginning – uh, we had all the windows taped over in there so he couldn't see out. And, um, but it was, it was incredible, you know, the Anheuser-Busch, uh, to be able to do that and, and all that was just an amazing moment for our team and, and, uh, super thankful for, for all that. How did he ask you to give the command, by the way? Like, did he call you? Did somebody call you? Like, how did that work? Um, I think it was somebody here. Um, you know, they told him that mobile wanted it to be the forever 400 and they wanted him to pick the grand marshal and the honorary starter. And right. he responded right back. I want Rodney to give the command and I want Mike Helton to wave the flag. And, you know, we were the two people that were standing beside him on each side when he won the championship and he held that trophy up. So, um, you know, Mike has meant a ton to Kevin throughout the years and been a great mentor and has had some serious talks with him at times too in his early days. But, um, you know, it's been incredible to, to have Mike along my side too. I mean, I, you know, for 20 years, it's been, I've had some serious talks at times too. So uh, Mike's a great person and to be able to share this moment, moment with him was, was really special. You tweeted after the race um, about Michael Jordan's presence at the racetrack and how that's kind of been a constant in the playoffs, which is really, really cool to see. What has it been like having somebody of his stature just around in the garage on pit road? Have you gotten the chance to talk to him at all? I think it's just cool that he's around all the time and so involved. I mean, honestly, I'd love to shake his hand and talk to him one day, but yeah. You know, I just remember in the beginning, it was, you know, it was almost, um, and, and I don't know this, this is just, you know, looking at it from a, a bystander type situation, but in the beginning, it was almost like he was a little scared to be in the garage and he had this big security team around him all the time and he took special ways in and out of the garage and all this and that and now you can just see that there's a comfort level there and he's kind of become just one of us and he's just a normal owner now and walks around and, and supports his drivers and his teams and everything. And that's just incredible to me, you know, to, to, I think everybody is a Michael Jordan fan uh, in some way or fashion. Right. So um, my family is all Tar Heel blue and, um, Man, any time that, that Jordan's around in the garage, my boys are going absolutely nuts. Like, they can't even control themselves. So, um, it's been really cool to have him around. And I think the biggest thing for me is just to see how he is involved. Uh, I think all of us like to see that. You know, it's one thing for, you know, Rick Hendrick to show up every week and support his guys along with Jeff Gordon. But to have Michael Jordan show up that, could be doing anything in the world 
and he's at the racetrack supporting his guys. And, you know, I saw somebody said, well, he's got uh, millions of reasons to, to be at the racetrack too. But, you know, uh, to me, I, I would say the, the racing part of it's a little bit of pocket change compared to what he's got really going on. And that just tells you what the race team means to him and what those employees mean to him. And I think that's extremely special. I agree. And I think uh, it kind of shows too, you know, when he first got announced, everybody was like, oh yeah, he watched NASCAR growing up and he says he watches every week. He's a big fan. Some people said, okay, yeah, sure he does. But proof's in the pudding now. He's showing up, right? He's taking time out of his schedule. And you mentioned your kids too. Um, I'd imagine that they're pretty stoked that now that they're a little bit older, I'm sure that they've understood what you did and they knew kind of like that their dad had a different job than most people out there for a long time. But the fact that they're now old enough to kind of appreciate the fact that you have done what you've done, you do what you do, and you also happen to be bumping shoulders with MJ, that doesn't hurt either. So I, I'm not shocked that I see them at the track a little bit more. Yeah, I think when they go to school every day and some of the kids are some of the kids they go to school with are huge race fans and keep up with everything that we do. And, um, you know, those kids think it's the coolest thing ever. And that has rubbed off on my two to just help them realize that we're extremely fortunate to be able to do what we do. And, you know, to win that championship in 2014 with them on the pit box, beat me in the back the last 10 laps. Um, it's something that might not ever happen again, right? As a crew chief, you know, the, the kids aren't allowed on the pit boxes anymore. And I was one of the last that got to enjoy that. And, uh, to, you know, all four of us crying as soon as we cross the start finish line. And that's just something that you can't take for granted and you have to, to cherish every day. So, um, we're extremely fortunate to be, you know, able to do this and to, to, to do this with Kevin in the last 10 years is, is just been completely amazing. Are they teenagers now? They are 15 now and just Man. got their permits and driving us around a little bit and all that that's good scary. stuff. <laughs> I remember, I mean, I'm looking at the photo over your right shoulder there. I remember, you know, following you when you, you got up with Kevin and I remember seeing pictures of them on you and Katrina's social media. I mean, they were quite literally infants and kids. The fact that they're driving now is crazy, ridiculous. Um, on family though, I know you're a big family, man. Um, Katrina's obviously had a lot of races and stuff. You missed a race earlier this year because your mom unfortunately fell ill. How is she doing? Is she on the mend? Yeah, mom's doing really good. Um, when, when I say really good, I'm, I mean that as the best she can do. Right. Um, you know, it was a scary moment for sure. She's had a lot of health, health issues and, and it all started like 10 years ago. She had an allergic reaction to something and ended up uh, on a ventilator then. And that turned into pneumonia. And then that turned into staph infection inside of her lung cavity and just Jeez. surgery after surgery after surgery. And, you know, she basically ended up being in the hospital for almost a year and just lost all of her muscle and everything else during that time. And it's just never been the same, but, um, you know, we almost lost her there that in, uh, Watkins Glen weekend. I was really fortunate to get back home and, um, and same thing, you know, I've got such a great race team and so many good people around me. I, I wasn't worried about things one time and I could just go home make sure she was okay. And, go to the war room the next day and, and let it all happen. And, um, but she's doing better every day. She's been in some physical therapy and trying to get some strength back and just trying to get moving again. I'm glad to hear that she's doing a little bit better. We were all thinking of you that weekend and we continue to be. 
So next year, I know that you still got two races in 2023 that you are fully focused on, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you about that at least. Has preparation for 2024 started really at all, or are you going to kind of worry about that when Phoenix comes and goes? Yeah, I mean, uh, the fun thing with Josh and I is, you know, we, we came from late model racing and we think about that stuff. We like talking about it. Uh, Josh has got to where he's hanging around a little bit more. We've already done a seat fitting for him and got his whole cockpit figured out. We could go race tomorrow with Josh driving the car and be, you know, completely ready to go. Uh, so that part was important to us just to get that done. Um, have everything done. His seat belts made, his seat inserts done, like everything's done. We, you know, all of his pedals are set and everything. So, uh, now it just comes down to, you know, learning more about each other. He's been able to come over between Xfinity practice and stuff like that and hang out with us, listen to us on the intercom, listen to us on the radios. He goes home on Sundays and watches SMT and listens to our radios. And, you know, all that will, all that will change, you know, with him, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't have to say to Kevin we don't have to have many reminders or many opinions. Uh, he's going to do it his way. And I think next year that's going to be a lot different for us. You know, we're, we're going to have to, you know, coach along the way. We're going to have to have a lot of reminders about different things. And, but also, you know, Josh is mature and, um, you know, you, he's the type that you can tell him one time and he's going to remember it. So, really looking forward to next year i think everybody here is and honestly just getting on the racetrack and seeing what it's like and i think that's really the, the key is we have no tests over the winter that we can do uh we're going to show up at the clash and and hopefully race and then go to daytona and not even make a practice lap and just have to go out to qualify so it's going to be extremely extremely weird you know it's a, it's almost a bad situation for a rookie like that, but you know, we're going to make the best out of it and do the best we can. You, you brought up the fact that there's little to no practice, little to no testing. And I know you've been, you know, pretty vocal about the fact that there needs to be a little bit more of that moving forward. I think that before COVID, maybe there was a little too much and now there may be a little bit too little. Do you think that there's a sweet spot to be found somewhere? And if so, where do you think that is in terms of how often cars are on the racetrack nowadays? Yeah, and I think, you know, the schedule is nice, right? I mean, you go in, you go through tech, you practice and qualify, and you get to leave. And, I mean, we all didn't sign up to this to make it easy. Um, you know, we, we signed up to, to go out there and compete and to try to be the best and to win races and, you know, to, to, to just have a practice where you could change one spring after practice or change one shock around or, um, you know, anything, change a different, you know, put a different sway bar in it or whatever, like just to have some time to, you know, change something, make a difference. You know, right now there's weeks that you unload bad and nobody can do anything about it. And a lot of times practice is so short, you really, it's a blur. Like you really don't even know what you have. Um, I mean, if, if you're, if you have a practice like the 12 had this past week, you're sitting there looking at the graph, like, Holy cow, we're destroying everybody. I mean, yeah, you're going to feel good about your stuff, but you got 25 other cars that are all running the same speed. And it's like, well, how can we be better than those 25 cars instead of just being the same as them? And, right. um, and I think the other thing is, is just learning, 
you know, our learning curve is, is just cut off right now because we're not, you know, the simulator works sometimes and it doesn't work sometimes. It's accurate sometimes and sometimes it's not. Um, you know, we need to be able to put different setups in and try them in one practice and then try a different setup in the next practice and, and learn from that. And I think the guys that are a little bit off could catch up a little bit instead of just having the guys that are fast all the time that already know, you know, where they need to be. So, I don't know. I mean, it's it's obvious to me. Every time we go somewhere and have a 50-minute practice, the four-car runs better. So hopefully we can have more of those next year. Well, yeah. I mean, 20 minutes, that's basically just a shakedown, right? I mean, you can't, like you said, just changing a simple shock or a simple spring, it's not possible with that little time. But just like Kyle Busch said, too, at the start of things, it's no shocker that when you, you're able to tinker on the car a little bit more, the best drivers and the best teams seem to make their cars better and it's no shock that they run better too. Um, on Kevin for a little bit, I know I only got a limited amount of time with you and I wanted to ask you a couple questions about your guys' relationship. The fact that you are kind of very cool, calm, collected, mild-mannered, and Kevin, as he would tell you, is kind of the opposite, right? He's hot-headed a little bit, not as much anymore, uh, feisty, very aggressive, right? The fact that on paper, you guys are kind of like oil and water, fire and ice, you wouldn't go together, but somehow, some way, it just works so well, and it has for over a decade now. When you guys were getting together at first in 2014, I know you were a little bit apprehensive of actually taking on this task. Have you been surprised at how well it's worked and how quickly it worked for you guys? Yeah, and I think I think the thing that was more shocking is just how, like you said, how well it clicked. and how easy it was like it from the very beginning it was never hard to have a conversation um you know a lot of times when you first start working with somebody you have to learn them and then you have to figure out how to talk to them and you know that could take time and like from the very beginning every conversation was super easy um we knew from the beginning you know what our goals were and he was just telling somebody in the trailer this past weekend that he was blown away by me in the beginning about how much I had studied his career and what I knew about what tracks he was good at, what tracks he was bad at, things that he was doing wrong and all this. And he was amazed by when I laid that out and said, all right, well, all because you think that you're, you're not good at Dover doesn't mean that we're going to run bad at Dover. We're going to go to Dover and we're going to win races. And um, all those little places like that that I picked out that – I was just, you know, determined to make a difference. Um, those are the ones that we went and won at. So, um, you know, it was really cool to, to kind of go through that. And, you know, all of it's been super easy, like I said. And it's just every text message, every phone call, every meeting, um, every time we talk in the lounge. And then the other part of it during the race is like there's no reason to – to fight back or argue back. And I think that's the thing that I, I knew from the beginning is if he does get frustrated, that doesn't mean I have to be frustrated. And all because he says something to us don't mean I have to yell back because that's really what causes the problems is, you know, there's no need to argue over the radio ever. And I, I see that out of some people and it just, it's, it's not making anything any better. It's just frustrating everybody even worse. And, and making it worse. So, you know, I, I just keep my cool uh, and uh, people pick on me because all I say back is 10 four. And that's all I need <laughs> exactly to say. Exactly what I was right? going to say. Yeah. That's all I need to say. And, you know, if, 
if I was to yell back and say, well, you're not driving it right. Well, then that's not going to work either, you know? So, right. um, you know, we're fortunate to have a guy in there that races his butt off and drives it the right way almost 99% of the time. And, um, the rest of it's up to us to try to make the race car better. And, you know, it's been, like I said, it's super easy. Ron, you recently passed a, a pretty cool milestone, 600 starts as a cup series crew chief. I don't know if that means you're old, that you've been doing it for a long time or that you're really good at it. Maybe all three, I'm not sure. Um, does it feel like it's been that long? Does it feel like a breeze? 600 starts. That is quite the accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not far from 650. It seems like at this point, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's got to be close to even that, but, um, you know, and somebody else brought up the wins thing for the, for the crew chiefs this past weekend. And, I'm, I'm the leader, but not by much. So I have to keep doing it as long as Alan and Paul are doing it. But, uh, you know, it's been so much fun. You know, like I told the people in the media center this weekend, I'm still the guy that was born and raised in Mooresville. And I had three cup wins before, you know, Kevin wanted me to do this. And now I have 40. So, um, you know, without that opportunity and without the belief in him and, and his team, I would have, you know, not got any opportunity at all so um it's been really cool to to be able to do all this and to to say that it's been 600 starts as a crew chief is is pretty crazy um and you know i had you know years of doing other things you know in the cup series before becoming a crew chief so it's hard to believe that you know if you did it a few more years you could end up going to a thousand uh you know cup races so uh, really fortunate. I mean, there's a lot of people in our sport that have, have done this as long as I have and, and worked really hard. And, um, you know, I was even talking to Moody before the race and, and, you know, he's talking about the off season. He's like, well, I get to go from seven days a week to five days a week. And, uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, everybody in our sport works extremely hard, whether you're a crew chief or whether you're in the media side of it or officials or whatever, everybody works really hard to make all this happen. And, just extremely fortunate to, to be around this long. Whenever your time in the Cup Series and NASCAR comes to a close, I got a feeling that you will still be in racing and maybe still with KHI as they've kind of been reborn a little bit this season. You've been doing a lot of work on the late model side with Lane Riggs. He has been really showing his talent, not just with you in the late model, but also in the Truck Series and Xfinity too. I take it that you get a lot of enjoyment out of doing that side of things because as cool and as fun as NASCAR and the Cup Series can be, it's still a job. It's still grinding. It's still stressful. It's still high pressure. It seems like you can kind of alleviate a little bit of that stress and pressure when you're able to do things just purely for fun, to win for sure, but it seems like you're getting a lot of enjoyment out of doing that again. Yeah, I really have. And, you know, building a late model and being able to take Kevin to North Wilkesboro was, was like a dream come true. Uh, we wish we could have run better. We didn't know until after the race was over with that the engine was blowing up the whole time. So, um, you know, we we're fortunate that it didn't have a big ball of flames come out of it while we were racing. But uh, we wished that we could have, you know, done that weekend over and, and been able to, to get him, you know, up there at the front. And the place would have went nuts for him, you know, leading a late model race. But, you know, overall, it's been a ton of fun. Our car's been fast every time we've taken it somewhere. And, Honestly, over the last couple of months, I've tried to back off of it a little bit. Kevin ended up hiring somebody that could look after it that I'm good friends with and talk to a lot and 
feel comfortable with and um he was in the cup series forever and a, a great mechanic and can you know kind of keep up with things and so I go over there and I get shocks and springs ready and set up stuff ready, but they have been able to look after the maintenance side of it. And it's taken a ton off of me. I, I didn't realize it for a while, but um, when you only get one off day a week and you spend it over there working on a late model all day, it's, it's number one, not good for what you have going on. It's not good for your family and your wife and a lot of different things. So <laughs> um, I've backed off and, um honestly it's been it's been good doing that and uh, i love to be involved and in just the setup side of it and springs and shocks and bars and heights and all that kind of stuff and that's what i'm good at anyway so um you know that it's so much fun to see that car go to the racetrack and be fast um you know to go test with them and and all that stuff i love the watching those cars race and and the, the quality of the cars that are out there and how hard they race and all that is, is really fun. So, you know, we'll see, you know, what all happens in the future. You know, I think the goal is to end up, you know, seeing Keelan on the racetrack one day and, you know, hopefully see him go to victory lane. That would be incredible to, to be there with him when he does that. And, and uh, we'll just have to see what happens with me over the next few years and how long I can keep doing this. Well, a garage with Rodney Childers in it is a good one, and it's a better one. So hope we see you around for a long, long time. I'll let you go, but I need to tell you this. In 2014, that was kind of when I was like, I think I was like 17, 18. It was when the fandom in me was kind of going away, and I was in college starting to go down the professional media route. And when you guys won that championship, that was the culmination of my life's work as a Kevin Harvick fan <laughs> to that point unreal just to look back on that and uh this weekend was so so cool so i thank you for the time today i thank you back then in my prior life for getting that championship for all the harvick fans out there and uh best of luck the rest of the way this year i know you got two more to go with kevin and hopefully a lot more to go and some more wins with josh next year and at least one more this year with kevin so rodney appreciate you my friend thank you so much and i hope that we'll be talking soon yeah thanks man thanks for having me on here and uh i love talking to you and we are back oh man what a thrill what a thrill and what a guy rodney childers thank you so much for the time my friend big 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 thank you to mike arning as well of true speed communications for helping coordinate that conversation was really really happy that i was able to get rodney on the show in his final season with kevin harvick and i'm appreciative of him for taking the time and mike for helping get that time secured on rodney's calendar as well and like i said the fan in me that is kind of from a bygone era but that was pretty much like my personality for <laughs> close to 15 or 18 years and uh the fact that he was able to give that championship to me as a fan back then meant a whole heck of a lot and uh, i'm glad that i got to thank him for that in my prior life so rodney appreciate your time here today on the show mike thank you for helping coordinate that chat and go get him this weekend in martinsville and next week at Phoenix, fellas. We don't pull for drivers in this industry in terms of media members, but we pull for stories. And God, that would be a hell of a story. So go let her rip. Speaking of letting her rip, Tater Chip, Christopher Bell did that again this weekend in South Beach. Christopher answers the bell for whom the bell tolls. Unbelievable. I can keep going, even though uh, Danielle and Larry never give me the Monday headlines today wins anymore, but... That's neither here nor there. Seabell does it again. One last year at the Roval with his back against the wall to advance. 
won last year at Martinsville with his back against the wall to advance to his first career championship four and does so again this weekend. Now, back wasn't necessarily against the wall, but he was in a scenario where he probably was going to need to win depending on what everybody else did around him. And, man, he did it. He got it done. Second win of the season, sixth win of his career, first win on a mile-and-a-half intermediate, which was interesting to me. He obviously has won on road courses before, a dirt track, short track, super speedways, but now first win that he has on a mile-and-a-half track. That was a big, big win for him. Is he clutch? Is he the new Mr. Clutch? I know Kevin's retiring at the end of the year. Can we give C. Bell that moniker? I don't know. You tell me. So he has a great day. Unfortunately, though, his Joe Gibbs Racing teammates, Martin Truex Jr. and Denny Hamlin, they did not. Denny hits the wall, DNF. Truex blows up, DNF. They both entered Homestead plus three above the cut. They exit minus 17. Oh, that is not great. Denny has five wins at Martinsville this upcoming weekend, and Truex has three. So in terms of tracks that they're going to to try to get her done, this is one of, if not the best, for both of them. But, man, oh, it's tough because Byron's 30 up. Blaney's 10 up. So let's say that Larson or Bell or somebody outside the playoffs wins again. I think that Blaney probably is best suited to hold on to his spot right now in terms of the guys that are you know battling for points. I think Byron's way to the good. You know, he can maybe clinch at some point during the race without waiting for the checkered flag to fly, but I'm not going to worry about that math. But Blaney being 10 above, A, not insurmountable for the people behind him. Tyler Reddick is 10 below, and Denny Hamlin and Truex are 17 below, and then Truex 50-plus something back. He's in a must-win. But also, I mean, it's a good spot to be in if you're Ryan Blaney, right? You're going to a track that you are really good at. You haven't won at, but you've been very, very successful you're coming off of a race that you probably didn't see coming, at least I didn't, uh, where he won stage two, led a handful of laps, ran really well, had so much speed for a Ford on an intermediate track, and now you're going into the penultimate race of the season, plus 10? I'm feeling pretty good if I'm Ryan Blaney. I'm feeling like I have to win if I'm Denny Hamlin or if I'm Martin Truex Jr., but time will tell, and we shall see. I know one thing, though. God, I love Homestead Miami Speedway. That place is just it. God, it's so good. It's got the weather. It's got the vibes. It's got the racing. It's got the surface. It has everything you could possibly want, need, or imagine in a NASCAR Cup Series racetrack in 2023. Uh, what is it missing? Besides being in a downtown market because it's not in Miami. It's in Homestead, which is not Miami. It is just Phenomenal. Multi-groove racing, tire fall-off, it's it's perfect. And um, I know I'm not going to get my wish, at least not next year, but I am fully and have been, team, bring the season finale back to Homestead. I'm going to die on that hill, and I uh, hope it comes to fruition at some point sooner rather than later. And as we talked about and as I mentioned, we're headed to Martinsville Speedway this weekend for a doubleheader dose of action. The Xfinity Series will set their championship for Sam Mayer locked his way in last week with another win at Homestead Miami Speedway. Fourth win of the season, fourth win of his career, first on an oval. That was big for old Sammy Mayer, so congratulations to him. Obviously, Riley Herbst on his heels won the prior week at Las Vegas, so three spots up for grabs in the Xfinity Series 
and two up for grabs in the Cup Series. The Xfinity 500, 500 laps around the paperclip, if you know, you know, uh, Sunday afternoon on NBC. And that'll wrap things up for this week's episode of Victory Lane 2.0 Party People. If you like what you heard here today from myself, but more likely from Rodney Childers or dad, Papa Siegel, I guess, uh, please leave us a rating and a review. You can do so on Apple, the green app, SoundCloud, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we are not, drop me a line. I will try to rectify that issue for you. Again, huge, huge thanks to Rodney Childers and Mike Arning of True Speed for helping coordinate the chat and getting Rodney on. It was a thrill for me personally, and I think you guys really, really enjoyed the chat. I hope you did at least. Please let me know. We'll be back next week with another guest from the world of NASCAR for episode 208 to chat Martinsville and preview the last race of the season, Phoenix Raceway and the Championship Four. So long, party people. Be good.